Good morning, good morning, and welcome everybody to Connection Point to our day after Christmas worship time. It's so good to see all of you and to get to be with you, and I wish you a very Merry Christmas, whether you're joining us online or you're here in the room, and it's great to see so many of you here today. I hope that you have had a wonderful Christmas, and you know, I hope that your Christmas was a little better than uh, the people in this picture that I'm going to show you who had to try a little bit too hard to squeeze Christmas in. They, they tried just a little too hard. I hope you didn't have to actually tear a hole in your roof in order to make room for your Christmas tree. I have a question for you this morning. What do you think would be the perfect Christmas gift? What would the perfect Christmas gift be like? Well, maybe it's something homemade. You know, my granddaughter, Abby, decided to knit. She decided that she was going to learn the skill of knitting. And so Abby made me a scarf, and she just, as she knitted, she just kept making it and making it and making it and making it, and, and my scarf ended up almost like a blanket. But I love the fact that it was something homemade because it's very, very personal. And then maybe the perfect Christmas gift would be something, something spiritually significant, like this Bible that belonged to my dad. After my dad died, I inherited this Bible, and I keep it at my desk, and I read it, and I see my dad's handwritten notes in there, and it really means a lot to me. And just the other day, I opened up the front, and I didn't realize this, but my mom had written a little note to my dad. She had dedicated this and gave this Bible to my dad on his 38th birthday. And so this is a spiritually significant gift. Or maybe the perfect Christmas gift would be something that's just a little more sentimental, you know, that's meaningful because of the person who gave it to you. So I have a friend who was one of my Bible college professors. He was a brilliant man, wonderful guy. And when he was getting older, he went to a veteran's home. And I went and visited him, had a great talk with him. And at the end of the visit, before I left, he took this ball cap off of his own head and put it on mine. And so whenever I see this, I think of my teacher, my professor, my friend, and how much he meant to me. But you know what? A Christmas gift that would really be fun would be something that's really just fun. Like, like a puppy. Like my dog, Nugget. <laughs> How many of you kids knew there was a dog in that box? You already knew, didn't you? Because I've brought Nugget with me before. And for Christmas, when it's time to bring presents out and have family together and everybody, I just thought it might be a good time to bring Nugget with me. And especially for you kids who are here in the room today, and for those kids who are joining us online, I thought maybe having Nugget here would just help you to listen to my message, just as I'm hoping Nugget will listen to my message. We'll see. For those of you who are curious who have never met my dog before, Nugget is a long-haired chihuahua, or sometimes they're called long coat chihuahua. She's actually not a puppy. She's 12 years old. So she's in dog years. She's a little bit older, but she is very, very sweet. She doesn't growl. She doesn't bite. And she even very seldom barks. 
but she's pretty well behaved. And Nugget, I'm just counting on you today to listen to my sermon. Will you do that, Nugget? Will you just sit and stay? Will you just do that while I talk to these people about God? And if you would listen well, that would really help all of us. And even if you don't listen, just behave yourself, okay? So we can focus on this. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that perfect Christmas gift. What would it look like? I think the perfect Christmas gift would be something useful. You know, something you can really use. If you gave me a skateboard for Christmas, I would appreciate your generosity, but I would question your judgment. Because I don't need a skateboard. One of my granddaughters last night arrived at my house, and I asked her what she got, and she said, rollerblades. You know what? I'm happy for her, but I don't use rollerblades at this season of my life. That would not be a good gift for me. My 11-month-old grandson, who's coming to my house later today, he does not need a new electric razor. That just wouldn't be useful for him. Your grandma probably didn't want a football for Christmas. So the perfect Christmas gift would be useful. Remember the Magi who brought gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus? You know, those were symbolic gifts, but they were also useful gifts. Gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh is something that was used in burial. And when you think about it, Mary and Joseph, soon after the Magi visited, they had to leave Bethlehem, and they had to flee to Egypt. They had to make a long, unplanned trip. It's very likely that the gifts of the Magi actually financed their trip to Egypt. So those were useful gifts. I think the perfect Christmas gift would be very personal, something that means something to you personally. One year, I got my wife a garage door opener for Christmas. And when I told people that, they're like, oh, my goodness, that is so unromantic of you. That's so impersonal. How could you do that? What they didn't realize is I know my wife and I know my house. And in those days, we did not have a garage door opener for her. And so she had to go out in the rain and the snow. And when I gave her a garage door opener, that was a personally meaningful gift for her. She really appreciated that because it was something she would actually use. And the perfect Christmas gift would be something long-lasting and durable. Who wants a gift that breaks the first time you use it or something that you get tired of or outgrow? And the perfect Christmas gift would be costly. A gift that costs you nothing isn't very meaningful, like that fruitcake that you got and re-gifted to Uncle Fred. It didn't cost you anything, and so it didn't mean that much. I remember when I was a kid, I would go to my grandparents' house, and they always had this hard candy, this special, real colorful, they called it hard tack. And it didn't taste very good, but it looked really pretty, so they would put it out at Christmas, and I would scoop up a couple of handfuls, put it in a nice little bag, and give that to my parents for a Christmas gift. Well, that seemed really smart to me. It didn't cost me a thing, and that's why it probably wasn't very meaningful to my parents. The perfect gift would be one that cost you something. Now, actually, the perfect Christmas gift is not what we give to each other. The perfect Christmas gift is what God gave us. And this morning, I want to remind you that God even gift-wrapped it for us. Now, here's what I mean. The perfect Christmas gift, God's gift, came wrapped in reality. Jesus is not a fictitious character. This is not a fairy tale. Kids, we pretend a lot and we have a lot of fun at Christmas time and other times of year, but Jesus is not pretend. 
Jesus is wonderfully real. In fact, his story does not start with once upon a time. Instead, it includes a real king, an evil man named Herod. And it includes a Roman emperor. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, who was Caesar Augustus? He was a Roman emperor, and you've heard of Julius Caesar. Caesar Augustus was actually his nephew. You've all heard of the month of August. Well, the month of August is named after this emperor. Whenever we talk about Caesar Augustus, there were coins that had his face imprinted upon them, engraved on them. Folks, this is real-world stuff, real-life stuff. A government bureaucrat in a distant city issues an executive order that made a blue-collar family, Mary and Joseph, have to inconvenience themselves and travel all the way to Bethlehem. There's a song called, I'll Be Home for Christmas, but Joseph and Mary weren't home. They had to be away from home for Christmas. Jesus was away from home for Christmas because his home was in heaven, but he came to this earth. The birth of Jesus is not a fairy tale. God's gift came wrapped in reality. Now, another thing about God's gift is it came wrapped in humility. The king of kings did not come with pomp and splendor and fanciness. He came in great humility. The king of kings became a tiny embryo growing in Mary's womb. Imagine it. Cells dividing, fingers forming, a little heart began to beat. I cannot explain the virgin birth, but for that matter, I can't explain anybody's birth without God. Only with God can I explain DNA and, and order and life. Without God, we can't explain how any baby is born, but without God, especially, we can't explain how Jesus was born. And there's such a beautiful simplicity about this story. Luke says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Think of that. The time came after thousands of years since God told Abraham that eventually there would be a seed that would come that would bless all nations. And hundreds of years, over a thousand years after Moses had been saying that there was going to be a great prophet that would arise. And hundreds of years after Isaiah said there would be one who would be born of a virgin who would be the almighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor. Hundreds of years after Micah said that this baby, this king would be born in Bethlehem. When the time came, Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths, some translations say, in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth, and placed him in a manger. By the way, have you ever thought about this? Do you realize that there were people named Joseph and Mary at each end of Jesus' earthly life? Think about it. His mother was Mary, so Mary was there at the manger, and Joseph was there. But think about it. Who was the first person at the other end of Jesus' earthly life, 33 years later, who was the first person who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead? Her name was Mary, Mary Magdalene. And who else was there after Jesus died on the cross? A man named Joseph of Arimathea and a friend named Nicodemus took Jesus' lifeless body down from the cross and they wrapped him in strips of cloth. 
swaddling clothes once again. And they laid him in Joseph's tomb. He only needed it for three days. And then he came back to life again. The humility, the simplicity of this story just astounds me. A couple of years ago, I visited Israel, visited the Holy Land. I've been there a few times. And I visited a place called Herodium. You may not have ever heard of it. It's called Herodium or Herodian. It's sometimes spelled. This is a picture of me in front of that um, big hill. And it's right outside of Bethlehem. This is where King Herod had one of his summer palaces. He would go out there because when you climbed up on this huge hill, it looks almost like a volcano, but it's this really steep hill. And when he went up there on that hill, it was cool in the summer, so he made a summer palace there. At the time that King Herod built this, it was considered the biggest palace in the known world. And it was a fortification. It was a, you go up there to this day, you can still see stones that were used to throw down on people. Guard stones that were used, they were catapult stones that they would use to protect King Herod and his family against assault. And so it was this beautiful place with gardens and aqueducts and guard towers and all of this. But I stood there on top of that hill and just in the distance you can see Bethlehem the village of Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem. And you know what really hit me? The wind was whistling around me as I stood there on top of this fortification, of this big thing that Herod built to protect himself because he was the king and he was powerful. And you go up there and you stand there with the wind whistling around me. I just realized God didn't send his son, the king of kings, to be born here up on this top of this palace in this glorious place. But in that little village of Bethlehem, and they placed him in a manger. Wow, what humility. Many babies have become kings, but only one king became a baby. Max Lucado wrote, Do you know who you hold, Mary? You have the author of space in your arms. He who is ageless is now moments old. He who is limitless is now snuggling at your breast. He who strides upon the stars now has legs too weak to walk. The hands that formed the oceans are now infants' fists. The source of language will learn words from you. The one who has never stumbled, you will carry. The perfect Christmas gift came wrapped in humility. And most of all, God's gift came wrapped in victory. It didn't look like it. It just looked like there was just a baby born. Big deal. Happens every day, right? But actually, the war of the ages was going on, and God was winning the battle. There was a spiritual war going on, and God was winning an enormous victory. An artist created this piece called Mary Consoles Eve, and it's interesting because it's a picture of Eve on the left, and she has this sad look because ever since she and Adam ate the forbidden fruit, the world has been a broken place, pain, and sorrow, and misery. But she reaches out, and Mary's kind of touching her stomach there because there's this sense of hope that with the birth of the Christ child, all of that misery that was caused by Adam and Eve's sin and all of our sin ever since is going to be undone. During this holiday season, maybe you feel defeated. 
Maybe you've been through a couple of really rough years in 2020 and 2021. Maybe you even feel like you're losing the battle. But the baby in the manger came to win the war. And he can give you victory as well. E. Stanley Jones said, The early Christians did not say in dismay, Look what the world has come to, but in delight, look what has come to the world. The victory of Jesus. The angel told Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent a philanthropist to just hand out lots of money or an economist to help us analyze it all. If our greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer to make sure it's fun all the time. But no, our greatest need is forgiveness and hope and spiritual peace. So God sent us a Savior. You see, the best Christmas gift of all is not something you can put in a box. And the best Christmas gift of all was not something that was placed under a tree. It was placed on a tree as Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says, describing this gift, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the perfect Christmas gift. And if you think about what I said at the beginning, this perfect gift, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that gift is useful, it's personal, it lasts forever, and it's so costly that Jesus died to pay for it. God's gift is the perfect gift. Life magazine did a cover story about Jesus and it's interesting how curious that people get about Jesus, even if they don't believe in him. I got a copy of this cover of this magazine one Christmas, and I was going to walk up and preach on Christmas Sunday, you know, talk to people about the meaning of Christmas. And I thought, well, this would be an interesting way to introduce the message. Jesus, who do you say that I am? And as I walked up to the pulpit to start my message, you know what hit me? The magazine cover answers its own question. Life. Who is Jesus? Jesus himself said it. I am the way and the truth and the life. So let me ask you, do you want what God wants to give you? Do you want truth? Do you want life? Do you want the forgiveness and peace that he's offering? If you go to Bethlehem to this day, it's very interesting. There's a church there called, a building called the Church of the Nativity. And it commemorates the birthplace of Jesus. If you go to the Church of the Nativity, it's a beautiful place inside. But in order to get in, you have to stoop way down. You, the, the door of the church has these stones over it, and the stones come down about this high. And so the only way to get in to this place that commemorates the birthplace of Christ is to stoop way down. And then when you get in, it's this beautiful, beautiful cathedral. But first you have to bend down. I think they did that, maybe say had some practical reasons in the building of the building. But I, to me, it says that this is what God did. He stooped down. He humbled himself. 
He became a man. Christ gave up the glories of heaven and stooped down and came to earth as a little baby. And likewise, we have to stoop down and humble ourselves in order to receive God's gift. Believing in the Lord, it's humbling. We have to stoop down. Admitting our sin, coming to repent and recognize that we need to go a different direction in our life. That's humbling. Surrendering to Christ in Christian baptism. It's humbling. Living in obedience to the Lord instead of insisting on having our own way. It's humbling. But it's the only way to receive God's gift is in humility. So here's another question. What is the best gift that you can give to God? We have a new year ahead of us. What's the best gift that you can give him? Now talk about somebody who's hard to buy for. <laughs> You've heard about, what am I going to give somebody who already has everything? Well, God literally owns it all. So how can you and I give a gift to God? Well, I want to tell you something. Back to my little dog, Nugget, here. Nugget, come here, sweetheart. Come here. I want to tell you something that uh, might surprise you about Nugget. She did not give me anything for Christmas this year. <laughs> Nugget did not give me a single thing. In fact, Nugget, I went under the tree yesterday and I did not see anything that said to Dave from Nugget. How could that be? Nugget, we feed you every day. We take care of you every day. We play with you every day. We give you water, we give you shelter, and you didn't give me a single gift. And you know what? That's okay. Because what I want and what I need from this little dog is simply for her to be with me and just be who she is. I love coming home from work, and I walk in the door, and this little dog comes running to greet me, and she jumps up on her hind legs, and she runs around real fast in circles to see me. She's just so happy, and that is her gift to me. You see, the best, dog, the best gift that a dog like this can give is simply her love, and sometimes the best present is just being present, right? I remember when my parents and grandparents got older, I would say, what do you want for Christmas from me? And they would say, we, we don't really need anything. We just want to have our kids around. We just want to be with our family in peace. That's what they would say. And as I've gotten older, now I understand that. I just want my kids to get along and to be with me in peace. That's their gift. That's the best gift. I wonder what our Heavenly Father wants from us. My kids this afternoon are coming in. Uh, they, we, we celebrated a little bit last night with my teenage grandchildren from Cincinnati. And then this afternoon, my kids from New York are driving in. So all of us will be together finally this evening. And we'll open some presents, and I will probably get a pair of socks. And I will probably get a Home Depot gift card, which I really appreciate. <laughs> but you know the main thing? I'm just going to enjoy looking around and watching my kids and interacting with them and catching up on things with them because what I really want most is just to be with them and be with them in peace. I wonder if that's what our Heavenly Father wants from us too. Evidently, God doesn't want a long-distance relationship with us. 
he sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So what is the best Christmas gift that we can give to the Lord? What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I can give him my heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of eternal life, that most precious gift of all. Thank you, God, for something that we do not deserve, your salvation, your grace, your forgiveness and peace. Thank you, Lord, for your fatherly love for us and all that you have done for us through this difficult year of 2021. We love you, God. We are grateful to you. And at this Christmas season, Lord, we recognize that the best gift that could ever be given was what you did for us at the cross and the empty tomb as your son Jesus not only was born and lived on this earth, but died for our sins and rose again from the dead. We praise you, God. We thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, as we begin to wrap up our time together today, we come to the most important part, really, of our worship service today, and that is a time to have communion together. As you came into the room, hopefully you received one of these communion packets, and I want to encourage you to take them at this time. I brought with me today a nail that I found on the parking lot. And it was interesting because this nail, it's just a little rusty nail, but it's a little over an inch long. And when I saw it there, I thought, ooh, I feel an obligation to pick it up because I could run over it with my car. Somebody else could run over it with my car. That would not be good to run over this nail. A nail in your tire can cause all kinds of havoc. It can cause a slow leak that you hardly notice, but eventually you have a flat tire. And worse than that, it can cause a fast leak and you could actually have a severe accident. And I got to thinking about the fact that really life is filled with nails and our sins are like these nails. Like sharp objects on the road that cause all kinds of havoc in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Our sins are like nails on the road. Aren't you glad that at the cross, Jesus took the nails for you? Jesus took the nails in his own hands, in his own feet. He took the sins that you and I have committed so that we could be forgiven. And at the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. So let's take and eat right now. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's partake together of the cup. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, 
with great gratitude in our hearts, we remember all that you have done for us, especially what you did for us at the cross. Help us, Lord, never to forget. And as we look back upon this past year and as we prepare to head into a new year, Lord, help us to remember and keep our eyes on Jesus, your son, who died for us to give us life and rose again that we might have hope forever. Thank you, God, for your blessings this day. Through Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to be with you all. And now I want to dismiss you with God's blessing and ask and pray that God will bless you during this holiday season and during the year ahead with every good thing that he has for you in Jesus Christ. Go in peace.